So my, uh, my goal today, um, what I want to achieve, uh, is I want to, um, I want to try and um, take you there. I want to try and take you to the truth that joy in God is the foundation of the Christian life. Now, it's ironic because even in saying that, you kind of think, well, Matt, the way you said that wasn't very joyful, was it? Just it kind of like my voice. I'm, it's not a very joyful voice. I kind of talk to people and they think I'm depressed or they think I'm upset. It's just, just the, the, um, the vocal cords God gave me. Um, and that's okay. So deal with it. Um, and and the, the subtitle there saying, Pleasure Seekers Finding Real, True, Lasting Pleasure. Because um, we're kind of... We're kind of going down a similar road to the idolatry thing with the, with the thought that um, we are all wholeheartedly committed to our own pleasure, to finding whatever satisfies us, and we'll spend our lives doing that. We're just so committed to it. Um, now, we've got... Uh, it's holidays, so we've got kids in here, and it's going to get a bit rowdy, so deal with that as well. Um, so I'm going to keep it short. I've got 30 minutes to try and um, give you guys something to take away. Now, what leads me to this? What leads me to try and teach on this or or arrive at this is the thought um, heard a couple of months ago that salvation is not mainly about forgiveness of sins you kind of catch your breath but salvation is mainly about the fellowship of Jesus so salvation wasn't just about awesome got my sins forgiven job done but salvation was actually about making it possible for you to have fellowship with Jesus um, and joy from fellowshipping with with Jesus so we're going to start here. Um, this is our, our primary text uh, for this morning. If you've got a Bible, just open it. If you've got a phone, um, just flick to this um, passage. We'll sit here for a little bit. Uh, it's Psalm 43. Um, we're just going to skip the first couple of verses um, for sake of time. Um, the psalmist says this. Uh, he says, send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling." Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with a lyre, O God my God. Why are you cast down, O my soul, and why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. So we're looking at, um, we're looking at joy there, right in the middle. He says to God, he says, to God my exceeding joy. Now there's two um, definitions for joy, we'll just define that to help. Um, there's the verb um, of joy, to experience great pleasure or delight. I had a really joyful time. That's the, the verb of it. Then there's the noun, which is it's a source or a cause of delight. Um, see the joke there? That was, that was for the kids. It's a source or a cause of delight. Um, that one's Chloe, actually. She loves source. Uh, so I'm, I'm talking today about um, the source or cause of delight. I'm talking about the experience, although that's a part of it. That's a good part of it. But I'm talking about something outside of you, an, a noun, an object, experienced as a source of your delight. So that is my joy. You are my joy. This thing is my joy. So I'm talking about a source. Now, where, where are we? Um, where do we sit in relation to joy at the moment? Um, to put some context together, uh, we had it and we had eternal joy and we lost it. Um, true, lasting joy was shattered by sin. And I'm just going to have a quick look here at Genesis 3. Don't even bother about going there. We're just going to um, kind of shatter through this. Um, so the woman, sorry, sorry. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food and that it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, 
She took of its fruit and ate. And she also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. Now what's Eve doing here? What, what's she doing in, in her heart? She's going, the thing that means more to me than anything else is my pleasure, is my joy. That's what is most important to me. So I'm going to disobey God in order to pursue my joy. So she's looking at the fruit, and it's a delight to the eye. She's going, yeah, that doesn't look too bad. That actually looks like I could actually delight in that. It's, it's wow, that's delightful. So the thing that's most important to me is my own pleasure. So I'm actually going to disobey God, um, true, lasting, satisfying joy. I'm going to turn away from God um, to indulge um, my joy, to pursue my joy. So pursuing joy uh, is something... Uh, other than God, pursuing joy in anything other than God is what caused sin in the first place. And sin is what separates us. Sin cuts us off from true joy, cuts us off from God. C.S. Lewis says this, he says, all that we call human history, money, poverty, ambition, war, prostitution, classes, empire, slavery, is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. So we're just, we're just so committed to our own pleasure that we're just searching, man. We just got, we're just in a sinking boat. We're just trying to plug the holes with stuff. Like, you know, Big Macs. I'm just kind of trying to plug the hole with Big Macs. Is there, is there joy there? There's not, man. <laughs> I'll just let you know now. It's not going not to turn out too well for you. Um, we're just trying to plug stuff um, in, in, to make us... Uh, sorry, to please ourselves. We're, we're so passionate about our pleasure. Um, we're going to watch a, a clip here. This is a clip from um, The Hobbit, uh, number uh, one. I don't, I don't know their names, actually. Uh, but this is, uh, to set the scene, the dwarves have arrived at um, Erebor, this uh, enormous uh, dwarfish um, empire. It's just built into a rock. It's a big kind of castle, uh, and its, its halls are filled with treasure. Now you find out at the, at the end of the movie there's... Oh, sorry, that you find out previously there's a dragon there and they kill the dragon and, um, and what's happening is there's another force that's come against them, uh, the elves, and um, they want a claim of the treasure. And the dwarf king, is, he's just really keen on treasure. He, dwarves, um, they love treasure. Uh, and now one of his, um, one of his uh, sidekicks comes and confronts him because um, they're trying to defend Erebor and the Great Hall of Treasure... And they're not doing too well. They're getting slaughtered. And the king is just sitting quietly inside on his throne. Um, we'll have a watch of this. Thorin people. Thorin. They are dying out there. There are holes beneath holes within this mountain. Places we can fortify. Shore up. Make safe. Yes. Yes. That is it. We must move the gold further underground. To safety. Did you not hear me? Dean is surrounded. They'll be slaughtered, Thorin. Many die in war. Life is cheap. But a treasure such as this cannot be counted in lives lost. It is worth all the blood we can spend. 
You sit here in these vast halls with a crown upon your head. And yet you are lesser now than you have ever been. Do not speak to me. As if I was some lonely dwarf lord. As if I were still... my king. You used to know that once. You cannot see what you have become. Go. Get out. Before I kill you. Good's that right? What what is um what's Thorin doing? What is he doing sitting up on his throne while his men are out uh, outside just getting um, uh, hurt? Just use some polite language for the kids. Uh, he's fighting for his pleasure. He is fighting with everything he has for his pleasure. What's his pleasure? It's that it's the halls of treasure down below him. You know what he says when he says um, when he says we're, we're being overtaken. He says yes. You're right. We should move the gold. We should move it to somewhere safe so they don't actually come and take my gold away from me. The moment his, his sidekick, um, Dwalin, starts to pick at his pleasure and starts to go, what is wrong with you, man? Where, where is your head at right now? Um, you can just see him reeling in defense. He says, don't talk to me as if I'm some lowly dwarf king. You know, Shing, I, you know, oh, this is me, I'm Thorin. And he's just, he's just in defense. Look, this... Treasure is worth all of the blood that we can spend. And you're going, whoa, man, like, do you see what's going on? So this is what we're doing all the time. We're fighting for our own pleasure so much so that when it's in anything other than God, it is just twisting us up. And our, our, our minds are just going, no, this is it. This is it. This is where I will find true, satisfying joy. And it's not, um, it's not working. So um, to wrap up the preface... Uh, true joy in God was shattered by sin and we spend our lives looking for it again. We are pleasure seekers by nature. That's just who we are. Now, I think, um, I think in looking at that, I think part of the problem there is that we don't actually look to God for joy. Um, we merely allow Him to forgive our sins and make us right and get that golden ticket to eternal life and that's it. Thanks, Lord, for forgiving my sins. I'm not really, you know, I can, I can get my joy from elsewhere. I'm, I'm really glad that I've got eternal life. Now, it's almost as if we had this choice of um, someone giving us a two-course meal, a nice meal provided for us, and we go, oh, that's really nice. Or if we had the choice to have the chef come and live with us for life, and we go, oh, I can get this straight away. I don't have to wait for the chef to prepare the meal and, and kind of mess up the kitchen. So I'd like a two-course meal, thanks. Um, and, and it's almost like this conversation we have, oh, I'm saved. And, um, and your, your friend's going, oh, yeah, what was that like, man? He's going, oh, it was, um, oh, it was seven years ago now. And um, yeah, it was, um, it was great at the time. Uh, yeah, just got those sins forgiven. Just got my ticket. And um, yeah, we'll just see how we go. And you're just going, what is that? 
Do you see, do you see the problem? Do you see what's missing? Um, there, is no, there is no pleasure there. There is no enjoyment. That is not a man who has found a treasure. Um, Piper says this, and this is, this is, is beautiful what, um, what he says here. Um, he says, the critical question for our generation and for every generation is this. If you could have heaven with no sickness, with all the friends you ever had on earth and all the food you ever liked and all of the leisure activities you ever enjoyed and all the natural beauties you ever saw, all the physical pleasures you ever tasted and no conflict, no natural disasters, could you be satisfied with heaven if Christ were not there? I think that really gets at the idea of finding pleasure in Christ. So my question then is, is just to tie it together. What is so good about heaven? And you go, well, you know, I used to ask this question to myself all the time as a kid because I'd sit in worship in church services and just be so bored. I'd just be like, I'm just not seeing it, man. What's, if I'm doing this for eternity, this is going to be hard work. Like I'm exhausted. I can hardly sit through 20 minutes of worship let alone sitting through 10 years, 100 years, a million, you know, it's an eternity. I'm just going, what, what is it? Because I'm not seeing it. What's so good about heaven? And, and we go, well, it's actually that you get to be with God forever. And then the next question, well, how, how and why is there joy in fellowshipping with Jesus? Where does that joy come from? Where is the joy in fellowshipping with Jesus? Because um, I know Jesus, but I'm just not feeling joy i'm just not there and it's really simple it's um it's because he is the treasure he's that treasure that you've been looking for when you find jesus you find the everlasting treasure the one whom will ultimately satisfy you Um, it's not his gifts that are the prize it's not forgiveness that's the prize it's him jesus gave you himself Um, jesus says this in in matthew 13 He says, the kingdom of heaven is like treasure hidden in a field, which a man found and he covered it up. Then in his joy, he goes and sells everything that he has and buys that field. How's that? He's going, he's going, I found it. Here it is. You know, um, the donkeys, gone. I'm selling them. The horses, gone. I'm selling them. My family, gone. I'm selling them. I'm selling everything I have to buy that field. Now, I'm not talking about selling um, when i say family i'm talking about he's giving everything uh to put christ to put treasure as his priority um that's that is radical that is like radical joy there is so much joy in this treasure that everything takes a back seat everything he says as well here um referring to himself in matthew 4 the scene there where um he's sitting on the well and the woman comes up who's had a bunch of wives the woman with the five wives and, um, and he's going, uh, do you want a drink? Do you want a really good drink? And she's going, well, you don't have a bucket, sir, so how can you get me any water? And he's going, no, 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 no. I'm not talking about this water. Um, and in verse 13 here he says, um, Jesus said to her, everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again. But whoever drinks of the water that I will give them will never be thirsty again. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. So, we are um, we're pleasure seekers. We're pleasure pleasure seekers. It's just us. That's who we are. We are um, we're, we're hedonists. Um, Piper 
calls us um, as Christians, Christian hedonists. We are so committed to our pleasure. We're so passionate about it. And all that to say, all all the first half of this to say, go for it. Commit to your pleasure. Give it everything you got. Drive after it. Go hard for your pleasure and you will find that God will be the only real, true, lasting pleasure. So don't hold back. Don't refrain from pursuing your pleasure. Go head over heels for it Um, because you're going to find that Christ is the only thing that will actually satisfy you. Now, now you hear this and you you hear this, this treasure, Christ's treasure and you go, yep, Matt, I totally agree with you. I'm there. Um, Love him. He's my treasure. He's my joy. But I don't always see it that way. Yes, I'm there. There's a part of me that's there with you, but there's a part of me that is just way at the back of the room. And, and it's kind of like, well, I've got a divided heart. Like there's, there's a part of me that's really there, but there's a part of me that is just, I'm just resisting that. And that's because um, as a Christian, you're in a fight for your joy. There is, a, like there is a war waging for your joy. Today, you know, after church, today you're going to find joy in Christ or you're going to find it in something else, in your clean carpets or your new trampoline or your holidays or your kids being obedient for once in three weeks. You know, you're just going to be finding joy in stuff. And there is a, there is a fight going on for your joy. Now, the question then is, well, how do we fight for joy? How do, what do we do? What, you know, what is it that I'm doing? Is it just like the um, wake up in the morning and just like, all right, Matt, game on, just self-discipline, life hacks, you know, strict agenda. It is joy, 7 a.m. meeting. It is 8, 8.30 a.m. meeting, joy. You know, it's, it's, you know, what are we doing? What are we doing to fight for joy? Um, I'll start by answering this in, in um, giving an illustration. When do you think that a man would feel most tempted to lust after a woman in his marriage? Is it when he is fully satisfied in his wife and confident in her love for him? Or is it when he is disconnected to her and in disagreement through conflict? What do you think? When do you think he's going to be most tempted? It's obvious. When, when, he's, when, he's, when there's conflict, when he's in disagreement, when he's distanced from her. So what's a man to do? What's the first thing that he does? The first thing he does is he recognizes the value of a strong relationship with his wife. He goes in his head, you know what? I'm going to be most guarded against temptation when I've got a really good relationship with my wife. So I will make that a priority. If I want to have a good marriage, this relationship will be a priority over drinks at the pub uh, with, with, my, with my mates or over working on the car again this weekend. If I want to safeguard my marriage, this becomes a priority. So the first thing is recognizing the value there. So first thing we do, when we're looking at fighting for joy, the first thing to recognize is how important that is. And you go, yeah, no, I get it, it's important. I'm going, it is fundamentally important. So you need to strip away all of those other priorities and go, that is it. That is the most important thing. If I want to safeguard my relationship with God as, as joyful, as the ultimate pleasure, the first thing I'm doing is going, that is so important. I need to satisfy myself in Him. That is so it. Now, to reinforce that, read, um, read this from R.C. Sproul. He says, um, based on the biblical teaching, I would go so far as to say that it is the Christian's duty 
is moral obligation to be joyful. Now that means that the failure of a Christian to be joyful is a sin. That unhappiness and a lack of joy are in a certain way manifestations of the flesh. Now that's really strong. That's, that's like, whoa. All right, let's, we'll just kind of steer away from that for a little bit because you're kind of wiggling your seat and just checking my phone like, is it time? But let me give you a few more illustrations or another illustration um, if I just spent the night at a beautiful restaurant having a five-course meal um, and I've had some beautiful wine that was matched to the dishes and a beautiful dessert and, um, and I had my family there and someone, you know, we're going home, kind of walking out to the car, um, leaving for Raison and going to, going to get into the car and someone walks up and offers, offers me some, a, a, a bag of McDonald's fries. And he goes, hey, I've got some fries for you. And he goes, oh, sorry, but they're actually cold. They're stale cold. They've been in the back of my car for three days. What do you think I'm doing? What do you think I'm doing? Oh, oh, you know, no, I'm not even, I'm so satisfied with my meal that it is not even a thought in my mind to have a fry. I'm grabbing the bag and I'm like drop kicking it across the street and going, see you later, mate. You know, like it's not even, it would literally be an insult to my meal to have some cold fries. It would be like a slap in the face to course one, two, three, four, five, to, to indulge in that. Now, if I am so deeply satisfied in God, so confident in His character, and so full of faith in His promises, and I'm tempted to sin, what do you think I'm doing? I'm not even giving it a thought. It is not even, not even a thought in my mind. I'm so wholly delighted and full of joy in Christ that it would be a terrifying letdown to indulge in sin. And more than that, it would actually be an it, ooh, blew a bubble. Uh, more than that, it would be an insult to God to indulge in sin, to find pleasure there. It's a slap in the face to the pleasures of God to sin. So, just kind of riding that same thought, make it a priority. So you are bringing everything to Him in prayer. You're making yourself available. It's just the top of your list. You're inviting Him to be a part of the mess of everyday moments. You're just going, God, I need you here. I need you to be a part of this. I need you to walk with me. Um, so you're not showing up 30 minutes late to a five-meal course, are you? And you're not like slamming down a bag of cheesels before you get there. No, you're preparing. You're making it a priority. It is at the forefront of your mind. You're waking up. You're going, all right, how am I fighting for joy today? What am I doing? How am I walking that way? It is a really big deal. Okay, so you're with me. And you're going, yep. Totally. Yeah, I get it. I'm, I'm there. It's a priority. Um, but there's still an element of your heart where you're just going, I'm just not there in my heart. So we'll take it even further. How to fight. We'll, um, we'll get the gloves out today and, and have a look at how we, what are we doing? How are we fighting for joy really practically? What, what's the process there? What am I doing in my mind and in my heart to fight for that? So we'll go back to Psalm 43 and we'll be just working through there quickly. Um, so we're looking specifically at those moments of temptation or, or in suffering or when your circumstances overwhelm you and you're just going, man, I can't even breathe right now, let alone have joy in Christ. You know, you know help me out. And that's, that's where we're going to go. So send out your light and your truth. Let them lead me. Let them bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. Then I will go to the altar of God, to God my exceeding joy, and I will praise you with the lyre, O God my God. 
Why are you cast down, O my soul? And why are you in turmoil within me? Hope in God, for I shall again praise him, my salvation and my God. Now, we don't have a liar today, so it's a bit of a letdown, but most of the elements we can cover, okay? Just context as well. The two verses before this, he is, the psalmist is getting crushed um, by enemies. He is surrounded by enemies, and he's saying that the, just the verse, the phrase before, send out your light and truth, is, why have you forsaken me? So you can see, you can see he's in the middle of overwhelmed by circumstance, and he's praying this, and you're going, okay, so we're in the same context. So he's, he's kind of wrestling with it too. He hasn't actually worked this all out. First element of, of the text here, send out your light and truth. Where does he start when he's looking at fighting for joy? Where is he starting? He's confessing, uh, God, like, I'm in the dark. Like, it is so dark in here. I can't see a thing. He, and he knows it. He knows I'm in the dark. He just, he's looking at his circumstances and going, man, it's really dark. Um, and he's got this split going on. He's going, yep, God's my everlasting joy. And yeah, I'm, I'm totally satisfied there, but I'm feeling pretty beat up. Um, but I know better. I know better than that. So I'm asking God, just show me. I just, I'm in the dark and I know your, your joy. I know your everlasting satisfaction, but just show it to me, would you? Because I'm not seeing it. There's a veil over my eyes. Um, you hear this again in um, Psalm 51 where David's confessing, where he says, um, he says, Cast me not away from your presence and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. He's saying, I'm in the dark right now. I, I know it, but I can't see it. So would you restore it to me? Would you turn the lights on? I know that God doesn't leave me or forsake me. I know that, but I do not feel that. Now, how necessary is this? Our flesh and the sin and, and, sin and the devil and the world, they are waging war against our joy. So we're going, yep, it's hurting. I need a light. I need you to show me. I need you to remind me. So he starts by praying for light. Second element, um, he says, let them bring me to your holy hill. So your light, um, let your light bring me to your holy hill and to your dwelling. And then I will go to the altar of God. So um, Old Testament language, God's dwelling was the, sanct- the sanctuary and the, the altar where the priests would sacrifice the animal and sprinkle the blood of the animal um, on the altar to atone for the people's sins. And God would forgive them there. Um, so kind of removing the symbolism there, um, for us, the light of God um, leads him to a place of repentance where he's seeing his sin and realizing the magnitude of it. And he's going, whoa, that is way worse than I thought. And then in that moment, there's repentance and there's the power of God's forgiveness. That's what he's doing there. So for us, um, Jesus was our altar. It wasn't the altar where they sprinkled the blood of the animals. It was Jesus. Jesus was the altar on which um, we, we go, we see the cross, we see the altar and we go, whoa, my sin was way worse than I thought. Uh, but his forgiveness was way more powerful than I thought as well. Um, that's, that's Hebrews 13 talks about. Um, we have an altar from, the, from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat because Jesus. Third step, to God my exceeding joy. So God's light leads us to the cross leads us to the cross to reveal to us our sin and his forgiveness. Why? In order to restore us to God, our treasure. The whole point there, I will illuminate um, your sin. I will, I will reveal the cross to you. I'll show you Jesus. Not just so that you can, you can have forgiveness, but so that you can experience God, your exceeding joy. 
Um, and that's the, that's the treasure thing, man. I'm selling the donkeys, you know, um, the, the camels are gone, the rabbits are gone, the horses are gone. I'm selling everything I can because I've seen it. That's the treasure right there. And he's saying that. He's saying God is, uh, in all of my rejoicing, in all of my daily moments of rejoicing, He is the heart of my joy. He is the very center. And that's, what, um, that's that, that quote from Lewis. There's, there's a whole chunk of it, but I've just got a little bit here that says, he says, adoration says... What must be the quality of that being whose far-off and momentary coruscations are like this? Coruscations are like flickers. So what must be the quality of, of that being who's just the little flickers of him are like this, this good? And he's going, one's mind runs back up the sunbeam to the sun. So he's saying, wow, what a God to make a sunset like that. You know, so he's saying, in all of my daily moments of rejoicing, God is right at the center. All of your rejoicing flows from that in the way you enjoy relationships and food and friends and community. It's all coming from a center of, it's from God. It's his great gifts to God, my exceeding joy. And Piper says, um, he says again, the final goal of life is not forgiveness, it's God himself experiences your exceeding joy. I love that. I love that. Um, lastly, um, I will praise you with the liar, O God, my God. Um, authentic joy will always overflow in praise. That's just what it does. Um, Lewis says, We delight to praise what we enjoy because the praise not merely expresses, but it completes the enjoyment. It is its appointed consummation. So if you are having the, the croissant of your life in the fine food shop and it's, there is like crumbs everywhere and you got like the, the buttery kind of taste on your lips and you're just, wow, you know, it's just taking you to another place. Um, so what's the first thing you do when you get home to your family? You tell them about it. You're going, whoa, honey, I, it's, I can still taste it. It's on my lips. You wouldn't believe the croissant I had today. It was amazing. It's like, I'm not even going to brush my teeth tonight because I just want to wake up with the taste in my mouth. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. You know, you tell people about it. The first thing you do, you're just sharing that. You're sharing it because it completes the enjoyment. So you're going, so, so look at the process here. Um, God is leading you in the light uh, in his light, to see Jesus, to see the cross, to see your own sin, to remember his mercy again, uh, and to see God as the ultimate treasure. And what are you doing? You're going, yes, 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 how wrong I was. I see it again. I can see it again. You know, look, look what he did. Joy, authentic joy will always overflow in praise. Now, you're not going to see it all the time, but you're going on that journey over and over again. God, I am so blinded by this pain right now. It's really hurting. Help me to see it. Send me your light. I just, it's, it's not there. And then you're walking down there and, and you're walking to the cross and you're seeing sin, you're seeing Jesus. You're going, whoa, there it is. I was so wrong. It's always going to overflow in praise. You can have all the croissants you want and it's going to pale in significance. I've tried. I love them. But I love my treasure even more. Now we'll finish on this. Um, the joy of Christ and, and, and kind of modeling off of Christ. Hebrews 12, um, right at the start, says, um, Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, 
who, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. So if you want to run, if you're, if you're um, in your heart passionate about pursuing God, then look to Jesus. Look to Jesus. He says it. He says, run the race, sorry, run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus. So if, it does, it's not, if, if, if it's not making sense, just look to Jesus. Just keep looking. If you're feeling really weak, just keep looking. And you're failing, just keep looking. And circumstances are overwhelming you, just keep looking. You can see clearly, just keep looking. Because you cannot see Jesus and come away unchanged. So in your fight for joy and you're going, I just, I just cannot fight for this right now. I do not have the strength. Just keep looking to Jesus. Because you can't see him and come away unchanged. So, my encouragement is pursue your pleasure. Pursue your joy. And you will find that God will be the only thing that will ultimately satisfy you.